welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Sarah, how are you today? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hello, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you again for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm looking forward to this today. Excellent. So I'd like to start by asking how you describe yourself and what you do these days. Okay. Um, I would describe myself, um, I believe, as a leader. I like to... Um, I love people. I love ideas. I'd say I'm an idealist, I believe. Um, I love to, you know, if, if there's a procedure or rule that doesn't make sense, um, you know, I like to push the status quo. I like to push boundaries. Um, you know, I love creativity and freedom in my work. Um, and I love to maximize the growth of other people. So, um, well, so what I do, uh, I'm an educator. I teach um uh, at the college level, and I'm a speaker. I um, go and speak at colleges and universities, as well as businesses, um, uh, and I'm an author. So with all of those different platforms, um, I like to use scientific principles of human behavior, some brain research, and I help. I like to help leaders and companies succeed. Wonderful. And uh, I always love chatting with you because I feel smarter at the end of the time having learned so much, <laughs> which was great. Um, so you have a huge number of degrees and interests, and I'm, I want to talk about your journey from where you first started to what you're doing now. So you originally went to school for elementary education yes. and then so, went beyond okay. that. So, yeah, so let's talk in the beginning then. Why elementary education? I think that my parents have always said since I was little that I was going to be a teacher. So, um, you know, I just have um, always had that in the back of my mind, and, and they've always said since I was little that, um, you know, we'd be a, at a play date or a birthday party, and it would only take five or ten minutes, and I'd have everybody sitting down, and I'd be standing up and telling everyone where to go and what to do, and, you know, I'm making up games, and so, you know, I've kind of always, I think, enjoyed um, leading a group and um, and a team and helping others, and um, but I actually, when I went to college, when I first graduated high school, I went um, to go into the medical field. And um, I joined a sorority, so I'm taking my anatomy and physiology and all of those science courses, which I do love and enjoy. Um, however, with my sorority, I had to do, uh, or maybe it was with cheerleading, but with one of the organizations I was involved in, um, I had to do some uh, philanthropy, some, um, some, you know, I was donating my time, and I went to a school. And I was in a school for an afternoon, and when I left, I said, well, that's what I need to do. I'm changing my degree, my major. This is where I need to be. I felt like, uh, you know, that was such a purposeful two hours to to help these children and, and make a difference. Um, and it was really fun, too. So, uh, so I went for elementary education, and uh, right out of 
college, I didn't want to, you know, just come back to my hometown and get a cake teaching job where I grew up. I wanted to really use my degree and use, um, you know, my passion for education um, where it was really needed. So I wanted to find kind of a ghetto or, you know, a lower socioeconomic area, a place where uh, I felt the kids really needed um, needed someone to love them and, and to, to, to teach them. So I, I applied in Chicago and I applied in Hillsborough County in Tampa. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with Hillsborough County. It is the largest county in Florida and um, it has uh, has some nice areas, but it also has some really, really um, not as nice areas. Um, so I was hired over the phone. My very first teaching job, I'm 22. I may have still had the white cheerleading bow tied in my hair on the phone interview, you know, like I'm fresh out of college. And um, they hired me, and I thought, this is easy. I heard that getting a job, you know, is going to be difficult. So I packed up my little car and uh, my dog and a few outfits, and I drove to Tampa for my very first teaching position in second grade. And um, this school was an F-rated school. It was getting ready to be closed down if they did, we didn't turn the grade around. Okay. Um, and <laughs> and so I, I got there and realized that I was not hired because I'm amazing. I got hired because I can breathe and I had a teaching degree. <laughs> <laughs> I was a warm body, basically. And uh, three people quit before I was hired. And it was the second week of school. Um, one of them didn't even make it until lunch because it was just such um, such a stressful environment. And the, the children were just, um, you know, I don't think any person or any child is naturally a bad person. I think that, um, you know, if you're not taught love, if you're never around love or kindness, mm-hmm. if you're never exposed to that, then you just don't know that. So these kids, you know, they were they were getting themselves up for school. They they came to school hungry. They, um, you know, they weren't given kindness, so they didn't know how to to act that way. Um, so I survived that year. I'm here to tell the story. Thank goodness. But I, I think I cried every day that year, um, every night because I just wanted to take those kids home with me. It was um, it was it was really tough. And I stayed in. Hillsborough County teaching um, for about six years until um, my oldest daughter was born. Okay. And that's when I moved back to the Midwest. <laughs> Excellent. Good old Midwest. Uh, a great but, place to raise kids. Yeah. So, but education is, is still, you know, the, the cornerstone of what I love and what I um, want to do. Um, but then going into organizational leadership, um, I also am interested in um, how people behave and how businesses are ran and and how we can improve. Um, And then uh, through teaching for so many years, because it's been 16 years now that I've been teaching, that story was 16 years ago. It's hard to believe. Um, I've become really interested in brain science and and learning and how – how we can improve and grow just um, just through learning and, and um, the best ways for, for people to learn and understand, not just children in school or even, you know, my graduate students, but, but us every day in our jobs. How can we be more effective in the way that we communicate and the way we learn and the way that we do things? Um, so that's why um, 
when I really started getting into the neuroscience of learning and um, using that uh, to to help businesses and individuals grow. And here's Charlie, my dog, saying hello. He's he's bringing me a glove. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> oh, that's great of him. He knows winter is coming, and he wants to make yeah. sure you're, you're still warm. Yeah. He's a retriever, so he thinks that everything needs to be um, brought to me all day long. Yeah, totally <laughs> makes sense. Okay, great. So, so you then you have your uh, your MA in organizational leadership, and then currently getting your PhD in leadership in cognitive neuroscience. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, excellent. And so, um, what? So, I know after you came back to the Midwest, you started working at Ivy Tech and started yep. developing some curriculum for there. What was what attracted you to to work uh, at Ivy Tech, and what were you focused on at that point in your life? Well, um, so my twins were born; um, they were just almost a year old, and I stayed home with them when they were when they were infants. Um, and I realized, you know. I loved being home with them and I, you know, and I, I adore my children and being a mother is always going to be first for me, mm -hmm. but there was something that was missing when I was home. Um, and I really, you know, had to, to sit down and think, I know that I can do this. I know that I can be a great mom and also contribute to, to others. And, and I felt that part of me missing that, that, um, connection and feeling like I'm contributing to society and contributing to others. Um, so, I um, I basically made the decision, went upstairs and put on a suit that I hadn't worn in a long time, <laughs> and I went out and I said, okay, so I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go apply for a job. And Ivy Tech was the first place that I stopped, and I got hired and started <laughs> teaching there. And that is just the truth. Um, but you, you have know, very good luck with just job I, I, job I interviews do, I in general. I feel like I'm a very up. lucky person, but yeah. <laughs> I also think that you make your own luck. And and I, I feel as though we can prepare to make ourselves lucky by the way that we, um, by the way we attack our tasks, by the way we attack our uh, relationships and our daily life. And, and I feel like when you love other people and love the world, it loves you back. And, and yeah. I think that's why I said at the beginning, I'm an idealist because I really believe that. And I think that, um, I think that there are a lot of ways that you can create the luck that, that you find. Yeah. Um, so I started teaching at Ivy Tech and I am so grateful for that experience because, you know, it really made me see again. Um, it, 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 it allowed me to work with um, students that maybe not necessarily um, all have done well in school. A lot of people that go to Ivy Tech didn't get into the college that they wanted to go to, so they're going to Ivy Tech for two years to get their GPA up before they can transfer. Um, you know, if if uh, you're not familiar with Ivy Tech, it's the nation's largest community college system. Um, we have uh, 32 campuses throughout the state of Indiana, and we serve about 175,000 students every year. Um, so it's a very large system, um, but a very low percentage of graduates. And so I had um, I had a problem with that. I think that we can do better, and we need to do better. If we're providing an education for students, we need to ensure that those students can be successful. 
and and I didn't necessarily feel like that was happening. Um, and so, uh, you know, when I my first book, Success: The Ultimate Guide to College, Career, and Personal Excellence, came out of that that feeling of what can I do to help these students? You know, they they come into my class and. I see the burdens that they carry. I see the stress. I see the struggles. And what can I do other than just this content that I'm supposed to teach for the semester? What can I do to help them? Um, and so that is really what spurred my um, my interest in writing a book. Uh, I, I really hadn't um, thought about being an author. It just kind of it, it was just something that I felt almost. Um, that I needed to do. So, mm-hmm. so I started putting together all the work that I was teaching them for the course. It was a student success course, um, which I believe between 80 and 90% of all colleges and universities have a course. Um, some call it student success or first year experience. Um, but it's a course where students are supposed to be learning how to survive in college, you know, how to reduce stress and how to, um, not procrastinate and and how to manage so managing their time and um, so many pieces that I felt were not touched on the way that they should have been and and uh, you know we were using a textbook that was one hundred and sixty dollars and you know my students they were making a choice on whether to get groceries that week or get the textbook and that that just wasn't didn't seem right to me. So, uh, you know, we can sit around and complain about things or we can make a change. So I started writing and <laughs> I I um, I thought, OK, so I need to publish this if I'm going to be able to make it available for my students and make it larger on a broad scale, because, of course, I was giving my students that information. I had been using it in the class, um, but I really wanted to make it so that any student, even if they weren't in my class, was getting these research-based strategies that I knew were helping my students, and I wanted more students to be able to get that without just having being in my classroom. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you know, again, I um, I've heard a lot of people that were um, I was just listening to your podcast uh, earlier that someone was saying, you know, you have 25 no's before. A yes or 85 no's before you get your yes. But yeah. I did some research um, and found um, educational publishing companies. And, <laughs> you know, it's it's wild. But I, I found the one that I felt was most um, suited to what I was what you know my goals were. Mm-hmm. And I called up the editor and he answered his phone. And I thought, Okay, nobody answers their phone. I don't answer my my phone. I will call you back. Please text me. But this guy answers his phone. And so it kind of caught me off guard. I was shocked. Um, but we, I started talking to him. And before we got off that phone conversation, um, you know, he was faxing me a contract to, to write this book. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to be easier than I thought. <laughs> That was that was not accurate. That was not an accurate assessment because, of course, you know, any any great anything that you're putting your heart and soul into is hard work. And mm-hmm. and it was hard work. It was a, a year of saying, uh, you know, we can't go to the zoo today because mommy has to write her book. And my kids would yeah. say, how many more chapters? How many more pages, mommy? 
And so I would, you know, I tried to tell them how it was going to help others, you know, so that they would understand that we're not doing this today because we're going to help people. Um, Your book story is absolutely amazing, uh, particularly since I have been chatting with a lot of different authors um, about how they have developed their own individual publishing contracts, and and yours is the best one I've heard so far. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is a different genre than a few of those, so maybe more people should get into uh, textbook writing. But um, it is kind of a testament, again, to your uh, ambition and persistence. So you had a year to write this textbook, and you, you mentioned that there was a lot of weekends you were spending time on this. But how did you structure your day uh, or your week around writing this textbook? And did <clears throat> the publisher give you a deadline, or was that a self-imposed deadline? Um, we... When, when we were originally setting up the contract, um, I, of course, said, oh, I have everything completed and I can get it to you soon. Let's put a year on there just, you know, just to, to make sure. And, of course, things, um, at least for me, I always think things are going to be easier than they are. And, and I'm a perfectionist, so it took a lot longer than than I expected. It did take the full year. Mm-hmm. Um we we had um, we we created the deadline together, and um, a different editor um, was in charge of kind of keeping in touch with me to make sure that I was on target to reach that that deadline. So making sure you know there was a chapter coming every month or every two months, um, and and so that was that was helpful. But I I believe that. Um, I'm not a person that is uh, super structured and organized. Like I'm going to write from nine to 11 and then from 11 to two, I'm going to grade papers. And then from two to five, that is not me at all. Um, and, and I just don't work well that way. I'm more sudden bursts of creativity and, and I'm taking a shower and I have an idea and I have to, you know, jump out and write it down before I forget. So that, that's more of the way that I work. So structuring time to write the book was not, something that was easy for me. Um, I also felt as though, um, you know, uh, throughout all this time I was still teaching. Um, uh, and, you know, through the second book that I wrote, I also had a business. So there's so many things going on. It, it is difficult as a writer to yeah. decide when you're going to teach. To be completely honest, the, with the first book, I wrote a lot in the night. So after I would put my kids to sleep, mm-hmm. I would stay up and I would write. Um but, you know, when you love something and when you feel uh, close to the purpose of what you're doing, I think that it provides you with that motivation to just do it. Yeah. Um, and were there times when I said, I don't really want to do this, but there's a deadline approaching? Sure, there were. There were times when I was like, I, you know, I would rather I will clean out the junk drawer that I have not touched in seven years just so I don't have to sit down and write right now. Like, I'm not, I don't feel it. And there are times, and I, you know, a trick that I tell my students that I had to follow myself a few times, um, I would say five minutes, begin it. So even if you don't want to do it, and I would say, okay, I can do, I, I can't write a whole chapter tonight, but I can write for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then something, there's just some, um, 
you know, when you when you begin, you have this psychological investment in what you're writing. And when five minutes is over, you, you want to finish your idea and you want to continue. And then once you're you're invested, you, you usually will keep going. Um, so, you know, I did that. I I would literally delete apps off my phone, um, you know, when I when I would begin writing because um, it's so easy to to begin something. And then, you know, my friends are starting the group text or, you know, you're getting messages um, and it's so easy to get diverted. Um, so I would just completely wipe things off of my phone so I'm not tempted. And I said, no, you know, this is what I know that I want to do. I need to do it. Um, not always easy, but um, but but so grateful that I, you know, when you're when you're finished, I'm so grateful that I took the time to do that um, instead of all of those other things that I wanted to do at the moment. Well, great. And so, with your so with the the last book you wrote in 2016, Success: The Ultimate Guide to College Career and and Personal Excellence, um, could you talk a little bit about some of the um, I'm gonna say like the highlight pieces of that textbook that you learned while preparing it at your days at Ivy Tech that you now teach uh, students at other universities? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I that book again, you know, I wrote it because it was really on my heart to help students, and 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 it's really for anyone. Um, in fact, I had several people go to uh, my uh, my book signing that just read about it in the newspaper and um, had were not students, um, but just you know said, you know, I'd like to use this book for my book study at my work. I work at the hospital in Goshen. Can, can we use that for this? Because it's really not tailored for students. It's more just for anyone that wants mm-hmm. to become a little bit better to improve yeah. them. Um, so I think one of the one of the pieces that that I um, feel that's important um, because I know how harmful stress is for our body um, is is there's a, a chapter on um, stress and um, and wellness and. I uh, to prepare for that, I took a course at the Benson Henry Mind Body Institute um, with Dr. Benson, who is um, who it's named after, um, and uh, Gregory Frischione, I believe is how you say that. Um, and they let me into this course because most of them were medical doctors. But I said, no, I need this information for my students. <laughs> you gotta let me in. And you know, I was very persistent. Um, I, you know, they, they did. So, so I took a course from them, um, from, um, so it would be Massachusetts General Hospital Mm -hmm. and the Henry Mind Body Institute and just learned so much about, um, the stress response and what that does to our bodies. Um, you know, when we feel psychosocial stress, you know, the, I have to pay a bill or I have homework to do or I have to write this paper or, you know, something that we feel that we're not prepared to handle. That psychosocial stress affects us on a cellular level. It stresses our cells. Um, and and so, you know, it's, it's so harmful to us. And I don't think we realize that. I think most people think, oh, it's stress. Sure, it's not great. It doesn't feel good. It's not only that it doesn't feel good. It is harming you. It's harmful. And um, and I think that that's something that we could all just um, be reminded that we that we're in control. You know, we get to decide what is stressful. Stress isn't the thing. And and I, and I you know, I, I tell that to my kids all the time. I say it's not 
the thing. It's how you respond or how you feel about the thing. And that's so true about about so many different pieces of life. So, you know, what you think is stressful, I might think is not stressful. I love talking in front of people. Um, and so that's the, the biggest fear that there is, you know, that so many people are are afraid to talk. But it's how we view that experience that that makes us stressed. So, you know, even just um, we've found that even even just labeling the feeling that you're having mm-hmm. takes the the threat or it takes your your thought out of the. Uh, you, you kind of get this uh, amygdala hijack, the, the amygdala, the part of your brain that controls the uh, the emotional response, which is usually what happens when we're hijacked by emotion. Um, just by naming the emotion you're feeling takes our takes it back to the, our prefrontal cortex or the rational thinking part of our brain um, so that we can kind of um, think more logically about the situation and what it is. So even just saying, I'm feeling really overwhelmed, you know, mm-hmm. labeling your, your feeling. Um, can help you bring bring yourself back to a place where you can um, better handle the stressor of the situation. Yeah, and and that's one thing that I I find that you know it doesn't matter if I'm teaching first year students at Ivy Tech, um, if I'm teaching at Notre Dame, if I'm teaching at Andrews. Um, that's something that stresses what you see it everywhere, and people talk about it like it's a joke, you know. And and we're all guilty of it. Oh, I'm I have so much to do, and I have five papers and I had zero sleep and, you know, everyone tries to one up each other on who's the most stressed. Um, but the prize that you're going to get is, you know, is, is, uh, is your health is going to be hindered. So I think that, um, that was one thing that I, I really loved, um, learning about and it's helped me as a person control uh, my own stress response and being able to, to, um, to fight that with a relaxation response. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. So you also have um, your next book. Now, it's um, The Science of Teaching and Learning a Research-Based Framework for Excellence. Has that come out already, or is it coming out very soon? Yes. So so The Science of Teaching and Learning um, came about. Uh, it, it's done. It's coming okay. out. It will be released um, in the spring. So, oh, fantastic. Well, as as educators, we call spring, you know, when when school goes back in session. So right after yeah. Christmas break. So the spring means January in January. Okay, great. In the middle of January is when it'll be available. Okay. Um, with this textbook, so I teach um, my graduate level classes. One of them is a, a teaching and learning course, um, and it teaches. Uh, my students are health professionals, so they're they're coming back to get their doctorate of science in physical therapy. Um, so many of them um, own their own practices. Some of them, as they're getting older, would like to go into higher education. So it teaches them um, how to. I guess it begins with the the motivational theories and the educational theories and how you can apply that um, to to motivate the people that you work with, whether that's your students or your clients, um, you know, or you know, someone you're in a relationship with. It works for everybody, so yeah. it's it's a really great um, thing for all of us, uh, you know, to to learn about. Um, but also with my business, uh, we would travel, uh, my prof talk business, when, when we're traveling to different schools and, and um, offering faculty development, many times um, people would say, this is really great. Do you have this written down somewhere? <laughs> no. You can have my slides, uh, you know, but as far as 
you know, I can give, I can cite the research that I'm using to prepare a lecture or to prepare, a, you know, a, a faculty development. But as far as a lot of times people don't want to take the time to read through literature reviews and to read through, you know, research studies, they want the, the reading to be a little bit easier. So that's my goal is to take those studies and um, produce them in a way that that makes reading kind of enjoyable, makes it, you know, a little bit fun to read. I try to write in a way that's not, um, you know, I want every anyone to be able to read it, no matter what, you know, your education. Um, my daughter's 12 and she helps me make um uh, cahoots and different things when I'm when I'm doing less so she can read it and mm -hmm. and understand it and so I, I write for for a large audience even though it's it is a higher education um, textbook and and publishing company it's written so that anybody can learn from it okay well wonderful so I do want to ask you about your company so it, it looks like in the in the middle of teaching at Notre Dame and Andrews you decided to also start a, a company called proftalk.org um, so what what made you want to start this company and what is your company focused on okay um, my I guess that my, my focal point of my career has been to help students mm -hmm. um, and to help help them um, maximize their potential. And in doing so, um, I met another colleague at a conference who also was just, you know, I was listening to him um, give his presentation and I could tell that he just got it. You know, he was another one where um, we're not necessarily as the content and the grades is, is not as important as can I make you a better human? Can I, can I make you a better, um, someone that can learn and, and that is excited about what we're talking about. Um, and so, you know, we, um, we started doing some research together because he taught at Drexel, or still does, teaches at Drexel University, and it's one of the most expensive schools in the country, and I taught at um, one of the cheapest schools in the country, and we thought, gee, if, <laughs> if you and I both are doing these same things, and it's working for such a large um demographic of students, surely this can work for almost anyone. You know, I had students in, at Ivy Tech that were fresh out of high school, 18, and I had some that were 60, that, you know, they were there um, and they lost their job or they couldn't do their jobs in factories anymore, so they were going back for a degree. So if the strategies we were using were working um, for for my population, as well as Chris's, where he would look out of his window at his office and see, you know, a Ferrari pull up and one of his students get out of it. Um, and just a very different, diverse population. We thought, um, surely this is working, so we need to, to study this more. Um, so we started working together and doing some studies, and we presented at um, the Lilly Conference of Teaching and Learning um, a couple years ago, and we were just really blown away by um, a lot of the deans that were there said, this is great. Can you bring this to my school? Uh, you know, can you tell my teachers this? Can you come and, and, and help? And we thought, why wouldn't we? You know, going from your wanting to help students maximize their potential, if you can reach educators, think about how many more students you can help. Um, so, so we said, all right, you know, you just we just kind of jumped in and we said, well, what do we need to do to be able to do this? You know, we we said yes, we'll we'll do this. 
um, plan a date. And in the meantime, I think it was like during a lunch at a conference, we, you know, we put together a, a business model and got our website going. And, you know, it was just based on it organically grew just out of demand. Okay. Oh, excellent. So with, with your journey so far, it, you, you seem to move very seamlessly from one task to the next and one job to the next and one industry to the next. How do you approach those times when you're fearful or how do you teach your students to approach times when they're fearful and to move past that fear? Okay. So I think that um, uh, my approach is to say yes and figure it out later. Say yes and figure it out along the way. And, you know, um, I, I feel like that is <laughs> it, it sounds maybe like it's not the best advice, but but really it has helped me do more and be more than I would have thought that I could because you know I feel that we don't always have the confidence in ourselves and in our own abilities and maybe we don't know that exact market or that exact thing but we know a lot and we can put you know our background knowledge and those resources together to do an amazing job and so um, I think I think when I am fearful uh, of something I don't really give myself time to say no I just say yes and then I I have to figure it out um, because you know that time is approaching. You know, if it's if it's more a fearful situation, for example, um, getting up and and talking to a group that, um, well, for example, my business we started just doing um, educational consulting. We were helping schools and universities, um, but businesses started contacting us about giving um, you know kind of a, a speech on communication. Um, I also teach uh, professional communication, so that. Um, is something, but I'm not used to to teaching people in the business world. I'm not used to teaching CEOs. I'm not used to teaching in that environment. Um, so I think, uh, I, again, with this, the whole stress um, and the mindfulness piece, I, I think it's important to just remind ourselves when we're feeling fear, um, that's just our body um, helping us rise to the challenge. So when you feel your heart is racing, um, that's that's your body pumping blood through your through your veins so that you can, you know, so that you're ready and prepared to, to attack. And, um, when you're feeling, you know, uh, you know, your breath, your, your, um, you know, trying to, you're breathing really quick before your mouth getting, all of those things, yeah. it's, it's preparing your body for the challenge that you're about to face. It's a good thing to, to feel, you know, have those butterflies in your stomach and to feel a little bit fearful. That's, that's your body helping you to, to be your very best. Um, so just reminding myself of that, and again, um, just having the, the confidence that um, if, if there's anything that I really want to do, I can do it. I just have to, um, I just have to make up my mind to do it. Mm -hmm. So again, yeah. say yes and figure it out along the way. <laughs> That's fantastic advice. I love that. So as you know, as the educator's educator. In a way, what are what are your favorite books to read, or what are your favorite thought leaders to read, and what inspires you? Um, I'm inspired actually every day by my students. Um, I am amazed by what my students are doing, um, and and I you know I just love to 
um, to read their work and to hear their stories and just to see their gratitude for um, for me and for their education. And I just think, you know, how lucky am I to to be able to do this every day, to be able to work with these people and and help them improve. Um, so, so my students really are, are hugely inspirational. Um, my children inspire me. They are just these amazing, I have three children, they're these amazing little people that see the world with all its goodness. And um, it's so, so wonderful to see their take on things and through their eyes. Um, as far as reading, I don't read a lot for pleasure. I read a lot of, I, I read a lot of studies, whatever I'm, I'm focused on uh, teaching that week. Um, so, so I read a lot of um, educational, you know, books and research studies. Um, my my favorite book that is not the my favorite book that is not like that um, is The Alchemist. Mm-hmm. I love I love that book and. Um, I have read it several times, and it's it's something that I always enjoy reading um, when I'm reading for fun. Um, but really, reading studies is fun for me because I love to learn. You know, I'm a learner, and so anytime that I'm reading something new, um, I want to know everything there is to know about it. So I like to I like to dig. Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, and um, yeah, Paulo Coelho is is absolutely an amazing writer, and mm-hmm. every. Like all of his books, I love his, you know, teaching through metaphor and all kinds of things. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, choose your own adventure in a way, exactly. which is great. So in everything that you've done um, and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? Well, you know, I think that what we were just talking about and the way that I kind of throw myself into things 100% before I know how I'm going to get to the end Um I I remember when I was in school and I was given an opportunity um, and I was away at college. I'm an only child. So being away from my parents was tough. And, you know, still when I had big decisions to make, I would call my parents. And I think even now I still do as an adult. But um, I I remember calling them from my dorm and uh, telling them about this. And they said, I said, well, what should I do? And they said, we'll say yes. And I started asking a million questions. Well, what about this and that and the time and where am I going to? And they said, just hang up, go say yes and call us back and we'll figure it out. And I, I really think that that is what has shaped how I dive into things, that that I all of these minor details can be figured out along the way. So I think that my advice is that it is go for it. And, you know, if you spend so much time planning everything that you're going to do, it's not going to go that it's not. I mean, you know this as adults. We all know this. Even when you have a detailed plan, it is going to take a turn and, and things are not always going to go as you would like. Um, so so I, I think you have to get started. And once you invest that that time into getting started, um, you will. You'll you'll figure out each piece along the way. Um, I was just. I started a messaging group with my um, my doctoral colloquium students. My my they're my academic writing students, so mm-hmm. they have to. Um, I try to guide them through uh, publishing, like how to write doctoral quality publishable writing. Um, so they're writing uh, <laughs> literature reviews right now, and I sent them this funny meme that said, you know, the how any any great work takes place. You know, and you start out thinking. 
oh, this is an awesome idea. This is so great. I'll, I'll have to text this to you. Um, this is so great. Uh, you know, this is the best idea ever. And you kind of are going downhill. Well, this is maybe okay. Oh, this is going to be harder than I think. And then it's like in the deep death swamp of darkness, you know, and, and then, um, then you're coming back up and you're like, well, it sucks, but at least it's done. And then, you know, maybe it's not as bad as it, as I thought it was. And then you're going back up the hill and you're like, this is something that I'm the most proud of. It's really great. And I think that so many times things go through that cycle where you have an awesome idea. But when you're in that deep swamp of darkness, when things are not going as as planned, that's when most people will just give up. You know, things, but nothing great is going to be super, super easy. You have to keep pushing and, and get out of that and know that someday you're going to be back at the top of that hill thing. I'm really proud of this. This is one of the greatest things that I've that I've done in my life. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Sarah, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. If the listeners would like to uh, see more of your work, read your writing, buy your books, where can they go to do that? Um, I can share the, the links with you um, so they can have direct access to the publishing company. That's probably the... Uh, most inexpensive way to find the, the book. And um, I'll share my LinkedIn profile. Um, and if anyone would like to email or contact me and, and want to know, you know, any of the research or anything, any of the work that I've talked about, I'm, I'm happy to share anything with you. Oh, wonderful. Awesome. And I, so I will put those links in the show notes so people can uh, click right through and, and get in touch with you that way. All right. Great. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed your time and, and this interview. Oh, thank you. As did I. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again and have a great day.